0: Amen. Um, when, you, when you commit to uh, a, a journey, it, it can take all sorts of twists and turns, as we know, in terms of literal journeys and life journeys. And, uh, and uh, I, I sort of love the challenge of uh, what we've had to face again tonight and how people have responded uh, so positively to it. You know, um, you sometimes need to dig around the stories of great churches. So, for instance, Hillsong Church in Sydney, great church. But it actually started in a gymnasium. And uh, there was a number of journeys to get it to where it is today. And uh, Saddleback Church in, uh, in California, led by Rick Warren, met in 52 different venues before they uh, finally arrived at the one where they're able to worship God and see it. And, uh, An amazing growing community. I say all that because sometimes there's challenges along the way. And uh, I, I sort of quite like the fact that we face the challenge. We, we, uh, we meet the inconvenience head on because we realize that God is taking us on a journey. And yes. thank you tonight again for responding well to the, the guise of the led worship of opening your hearts again. Yes. And here's the truth. Uh, as we've been doing Ephesians on a Tuesday night down at Equippus in Ilkeston, we've reminded ourselves again that uh, there's, no, there's no divisions anymore, that the, 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 the middle wall of petitions come tumbling down in the power of the cross. And at the end of Ephesians chapter 2, it reminds us that God's got a people that are a habitation of his by the Spirit. In other words, friends, we can literally meet anywhere and draw the presence of God. Because we are the church tonight, and yeah, so we know yeah. that this isn't a church, but neither is Field Mill. And actually, Arena Church, Ilkison, is really just a building. The people that make all the difference are you and I. And when we come together, and when we open our hearts, and when we praise the Lord, the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people, he comes to us. So actually, this has been church tonight, and uh, we thank God for his goodness to us. Um, For the next few minutes, I just want to share from uh, perhaps an unusual chapter, which we may be tempted sometimes to skip through, but I hope that we're going to get something from it tonight because in this autumn series at Man- Arena Mansfield, we are we're talking about bringing on the wall. And uh, you may have seen that Gaff programme on the telly uh, uh, that used to be on, on a Saturday night where they used to sort of... Um, uh, you can see I washed it as well, but uh, <laughs> but um, uh, you can see you, they used to have different celebrities on and uh, there used to be a wall that would come towards them in all sorts of different shapes, so they had to sort of... Bring and if they couldn't sort of bend towards the shape, they got shunted off into a swimming pool and everybody laughed because they got wet. And uh, what's that got to do with the message? Well, it's really the inspiration for the title because, because we want to see prophetically God bring on a wall in these days, not a literal wall. But the, the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament really, really does speak to us about what God wants to build in these days. And Romans 15 says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and encouragement to the scriptures, we might have hope. In other words, God paints pictures in the Old Testament that through the cross and uh, into our 21st century world actually can make some sense. And uh, we've talked about the fact that the people of God were in exile. They'd, they'd, uh, They'd been judged by God and taken away from their homelands. And it was something that they felt very keenly. The psalmist says, by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, you, you all thought Boney M would come up with those words, didn't you? But, but, but it's the Bible. And, uh, and uh, the fact is that they often were sad when they, they, um, they were away from the homeland. But God began to stir things in people's hearts. And uh, we read about Nehemiah and how the, he had a very uh, illustrious career. He was the king's cupbearer. He was in the civil service. He got a gold plated pension. Everything was sorted out for him. And then God spoke. And so we've talked about the call that comes on people's lives. And the call still comes to the church today to get disturbed by the brokenness of the wall. And the brokenness of the wall speaks about the brokenness that's around us in society today. The brokenness sometimes in family. The brokenness in some of the contexts that some of you actually work in day by day. In commerce, in business, in education. In terms of the neighbourhoods that you actually live. You see brokenness around you. And God disturbed this man and began to call him to uh, believe that he could make a difference. He began to pray, began to weep before the Lord, began to fast. He says, God, I'll give all this up so that I can follow your call. And the, the heart of God today is to find a people, to find a community, to find a church that will get a holy discomfort, that will get stirred up by God and say, we're not just content to come and meet together ourselves. We actually want to build ourselves up that we might be impacted, to reach out and see These broken issues around us begin to be mended by the power of God. And then Christians spoke about when we begin to do that, how that favour comes to us. And last week we talked about Don't Stop Me Now. I know an inspiration from another song. I like the song. And and the reality is that whenever we step out to do something for the Lord, I tell you, every time, every time the enemy tries to, to stop us. And uh, he tries to frustrate the things that God wants to do in us. And we need to see where it's coming from. Uh, In that particular context, it was mocking and ridicule and undermining from the enemies of of Nehemiah. We need to just see the source of it and press through. Nehemiah wasn't distracted. He says, God's given us a work to do. God's going to give us success. And we're going to continue building this wall. And the people join with him and says, let's start rebuilding. And so we come to chapter 3. And those of you that know your Bibles in Nehemiah chapter 3 will begin to read it. And it says this, Elishab the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building it as far as... I think I'll use the the hand out. Let me start again. So chapter 3, verse 1, Elishab the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set it indoors in place, building it as far as the Tower of of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Ananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zuhur, the son of Imre, built next to him. Most Christians have only read as far as that, because they think, oh, good grief, what's this about? And they go on to chapter 4, because it's all about gates and people building and unpronounceable names, and it seems as though it's got absolutely no relevance to us, at all. Well, we've not got time to read from beginning to end of Nehemiah chapter 3, but I want to set you a challenge. I want you to set you a challenge that this week sometime you'll read actually from beginning to end and give yourself a pat on the back say, I'm one of the few Christians in the world that's read Nehemiah chapter 3 from start to finish. Because actually he's got something to say to us and the message tonight is all for one and one for all. Not from a song, but from a great book. And, uh, and also, of course, it's been made into a film. But the great musketeer shout was, was that they were all for one and one for all. And here's the truth tonight, friends, that if we are to see the wall built, if we're to see the kingdom come and God's will be done, if we're to see a resurrection of God's purposes, if we're to see hurting lives impacted. And Andy was telling me that at the market store yesterday, they engaged with over 40 people regarding the food brand project. Not just handing a leaflet out to them, actually talking to them. Great great sort of uh, fascination with what we're seeking to do. And the reality is, friends, that all around the the, the context of uh, the town that we're representing here tonight, we can reach out and touch people's lives. But here's the truth. We're going to struggle to do that on our own. But when we have an all-for-one and one-for-all spirit, it's amazing what we can do for the glory of God so, tonight, we, we, we get a context of this particular passage of Scripture speaking to us, and uh, I, I want to give you a few things that flow out of this, this passage, I, I don't want to be particularly long, but I want to inspire your heart tonight to have a sense that you belong to something called the Church of Jesus Christ, which is amazing, and that actually we need you. You see, I, I find a lot of Christians over the years live with this lie over their life, and it's that well, I'm not really needed, I'm pretty worthless, I don't seem to have much of a gift, I don't come from the right background, I had a bad life before I became a Christian, so God could never use me in the future. And they forever put a lid on their potential to contribute to the body of Christ. Here's what the Bible says, and the Bible's truth. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that even the parts of the body, in other words, even the part of the whole that seems as though it can be dispensed with, actually is vital to the whole. And so tonight, if you think that you're one of the weaker members of the body, and one of the insignificant parts, and you don't seem to have as much gifting as other people. And friends, it's not how much gifting we've got, but how faithful we are to the gifting that God has given to us. That's the important thing. And whether it's 10, 5 or 1, the important thing is, are we faithful to what God's given us? Then the reality is this, that we need you. We need everybody in this, all for one and one for all. We need everybody by spirit, by heart, by contribution to commit to what God is doing in these days. And so if you had time to read uh, the whole of the chapter tonight, you'll find that there were 39 different groups that are described around this particular wall. And he talks about them mending gates and he talks about them repairing the section of the wall that they were particularly responsible for. And if you read it carefully, you'll talk that it, 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 it describes priests. It describes perfumers. perfumers. People that operated in the selling of perfume. And, you know, one of my heroes is, is verse 14 because his name's Malkijar. You think, well, why is he a hero? Because he repaired the dung gate. How about that? He probably needed the perfume around him, but we won't go there, but... Uh, but, and then he talks about goldsmiths and merchants, he talks about priests and people, he talks about men and women. In other words, the whole raft of people that are involved in the building of the wall, it wasn't just Nehemiah. Imagine Nehemiah trying to do this on his own, it would have taken him forever. But he got 39 different people groups that were committed to seeing what he saw and said together we can see this thing come to pass. So often in the past, friends, the Church of Jesus Christ has not portrayed what takes place in Nehemiah chapter three. In other words, we've over professionalised the ministry. We've called people minister, but that's when the Bible teaches us that we're all ministers. It's only another word for servants. It's not a status, it's a function. It's not so that we can call ourselves the Very Reverend or the Holy Reverend or the Holy Father or the, you know whatever it goes, and the name seems to get longer and longer. The height you seem to go up the church, it's simply that like we can serve the church. And here's how we thought: we thought, well, we'll just come to church, and then we'll watch the professional person doing all the work. Little wonder sometimes that we've not achieved all that God wants us to achieve. What God says is. That he's giving gifts to the church, apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. So that they might empower the whole of the body of Christ to do the work that God has called us to do. The work of the ministry. And he's an expression of this prophetically in Isaiah chapter 3. And so I want just to take you through a few things tonight that I see from Nehemiah chapter 3. I think there's five in all and we'll move through them pretty quickly. Number one, there's direction. There's direction. Because Nehemiah had said in the previous chapter, let's rebuild the walls. In other words, it needed somebody called a leader to say, let's do it. Let's do it. And friends, God has always raised up leaders and always will raise up leaders. And still he is today. He's not raising up leaders so that they do it all. He's raising up leaders to bring about a momentum in people's hearts that will respond to what God wants to do. You see, leadership brought inspiration. There'd been a dark day over this, over the city of Jerusalem, where the city had laid in disgrace, where actually people had been lay, living there and looking at the rubble and seeing the gates burned down and done nothing about it. But somebody got stirred up and brought a leadership call. And when that person says, "Do you know what? We can rebuild these walls," the people says, "Yeah, we can." Leadership brought direction, uh, brought inspiration. it brought delegation as well, which we'll come to, we'll come to a little later. You see, leadership is not doing all of the work, but making sure that all of the work gets done. And it brought motivation. The people rose up and had a real sense of fresh purpose about what God was wanting to do for them. I get people saying to me, we don't need leaders in the church anymore. Oh, really? I tell you, friends, we've never needed leaders in the church more than we need them today. You see, because I don't think the church needs to be like the last verse in Judges. Where he says, everybody did what was right in their own side. That's how some churches operate. Everybody's just doing their own thing. Everybody's just pleasing themselves. Everybody's just thinking, doing what they want. God's given leaders to the church. He's not given leaders to the church to control the church. He's not given leaders to the church to intimidate the church. He's given leaders to the church so that the people of God might rise up with a fresh sense of inspiration and motivation to say, we can see the walls of the kingdom built in. These days, and I don't have time to go there tonight, but the Bible gives us some principles about how we respond to leadership. And if we'll put those into action in our lives, then we'll find a freeing up in all that we do for his glory and praise. So not only direction, but also participation. Let me give you a New Testament verse that backs home what I'm trying to say tonight. It comes from Philippians. He says these words. And I want you to notice the context, because often we quote verse 6. But Philippians chapter 1 verse 4 says, I thank my God every time I remember you, in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray for joy. Why does he pray for joy? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel, speaking of the togetherness, from this day until now. Verse 6, being confident of this, that he that began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, we often quote verse 6. It's a favourite verse of mine. I love it. In other words, what God started in us, he'll complete. But the context of it is a context of togetherness. It's actually that we are in partnership with other people for the course of the gospel. And Paul says that when I pray for you, the Philippian church, I always pray with joy because I know that you are in partnership with me. All for one. A one for all. So, being confident of this, he that's begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. I come across people that have isolated themselves from the body of Christ. Don't need to go to church to be a Christian. It's not in the Bible. Don't need to go to church to be a Christian. Don't need to sort of belong to anybody. Just going to do my own thing. And then, quote verse six. That he that's begun a good work in them will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It doesn't work like that. In other words, you can claim verse 6 when you live in verse 4 and 5. Yeah. When you're in partnership with other people, when you have committed to a community of believers, when you've said that I want to be part of what God's doing, he that's begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ participation. The Bible says that he's giving gifts to the church to prepare God's people for works of service. And again and again in the Bible we have lists that reflect different expressions of ministry in the body of Christ. In Ephesians 4 in 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, he talks about hospitality, he talks about visiting the sick, he talks about ministering to social outcasts, he talks about clothing the poor, it talks about taking interest in the needy, he talks about all sorts of giftings so and we could go on and on and on and on. We did an equipping day one Saturday in Arena Church, Youngestown, two or three years ago, about gifting, and asked people just to take a few moments to write down as many gifts as they could think of within the body of Christ. We got way beyond 50 without even thinking, just in our church. Way beyond 50 different expressions of gifting. Just in our church, we could have doubled it again if we had thought of other expressions. And the reality is, friends, that God wants us not to be spectators, but to be participators, not to be the pundit that sits on the bench. But to, to be the person that actually gets stuck in and works on the field. Not to be the one that says, Well, if I was leaving it, you know, this is what I would do. Because we all know it's it. we can all run the England football team. You know, it's easy. We we can all run the country, it's easy. I mean David Cameron just needs to step out of the way, I'll step in tomorrow, I'll sort it. We can all do those things. But of course it's a lot more difficult than that. We can all run a church. It's easy. We can all lead worship. We can all preach. It's so easy. And actually, when people do it well, they make it look easy. Yeah. That's gift. Yeah. When yeah, it's a shambles, true. and everybody knows it's a shambles, <laughs> that is not good. That is not gift. And f- folks in our church turn up at times, they've made it look easy tonight. But they panicked and flapped and them, and wires have been sort of all over the place and trying to make it shut. But they've made it look easy because the gift of God to the church and the reality is that God wants us to get engaged with what he's doing. Now here's what 1 Peter 4.10 says. He says that each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Notice what it says, each one. Let me come back to that untruth that sits over many Christians' lives. And that is, I've not got a gift. I've not got anything to give to the body of Christ. I don't feel I've got anything to contribute. Now, the Bible says that each one of us should use whatever gift we have to receive, to serve others. Now, it may be that you've got to go on a bit of a journey of discovery of your gift, of your shape, of where you fit. You're part of the jigsaw in the great picture that God is building. And we can help you with those sorts of things. We can give you some teaching notes that will help you to discover your gift. But here's the truth. God wants you to realize that when you came to Jesus, you didn't just come to Jesus to spectate and look on. But you came to Jesus to be a participator in the body of Christ. And God's given you a gift. It may be that you're a great listener. It may be that you're a great talker. You just connect with people. It may be that it's something up front. And it may be something that nobody knows about. And that drew attention in Arena Milkestone Ilkeston this morning. As we were thinking in a slightly different context last week about team. About people in our church that serve us in amazing ways. Very much behind the scenes. And nobody knows it's happening. But we couldn't do the job. Without them, each one of us bring in our gift, whatever it is, to serve others. I want to encourage you tonight, out of Nehemiah 3, not only to respond to direction, but to involve yourself in participation. And then, thirdly, I want you to notice organisation. Oh dear, how many people we come across at times that think God and organise don't come together? Oh no, or oh, we just follow the Spirit. You know, there's that verse in the Psalms that says open your mouth and you will fill it. You don't have to prepare ministry, just open your mouth and God will fill it and that will be great. It was C.H. Spurgeon that was talking to somebody once, the great Victorian preacher. And somebody says to him, Mr. Spurgeon, I know that you spend hours preparing your ministry. He says, I, I don't operate like that. He says, I, I just get something five minutes before I speak. He said, I don't bother with all that preparation. Spurgeon says, and that's why five minutes after you've finished, everybody's forgot what you said. And the reality is, friends... That God and organization are not opposites. They're not opposites. God was organized about the tabernacle. Ooh, fine details. Talks about nails yeah. in the Bible and the way to sort of thing and curtains. And he seemed pretty organized about the different things. He realizes, friends, that he's contesting an organized kingdom of darkness. And the fact of the matter is that there are times when we need to be organized in what we're doing. God's not called us to be a rabble. Now, I understand. The danger of organising God out of situations. I understand that church can sold them to rigidity and inflexibility. That if the Holy Spirit wanted to step in tonight and bring a revival, He wouldn't get a chance. Because this meeting is going to finish at 7 o'clock. Come what? Mate, it's now three minutes past so you can see that we're not that organized here. You know what I'm saying? In other words, we organize out the Holy Spirit. We've got it so sort of sorted out that he can't break in. And he said in Revelation 3, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone will open the door and, come and invite me in, I'll come in and eat with him and have fellowship with him. That's a word to the church, by the way. It's not a word to, to, to non-Christians. But here's the truth. There are times, friends, when we've got to organize ourselves... Jehoshaphat, when he went to battle, was organised in worship. Joshua, when he took on the uh, city of Jericho, was organised in his approach. And on that seventh day, the walls came tumbling down. And we are not called to disarray and to chaos, but we are called to be a people that know what we're about for the glory of God. Fourthly, continuation. The Bible says there were no gaps in the wall. And that every part was attended to. Everybody in place. There was a great expression of unity. And uh, we need to ask friends that God will help us uh, to to do exactly that. There will be a real binding together relationship. So that in whatever God's called us to do in these days. The enemy won't be able to get through any gaps. Because we aren't creating any gaps. Sometimes we may see somebody... That's weaker in a particular season, that feels infirmed, that's had to go through a trying experience, that's working through some difficult stuff. And we come alongside and bolster that person in that particular season to bring them out of it so that they can bolster somebody else that needs that encouragement in another season. In other words, there's just a continuation of what God's doing because we're sensitive, we're open, our eyes are open to making sure that there's no gaps that come between us, that the enemy can penetrate and therefore push back on the work of God. And the fifth thing I want you to notice tonight is exertion. Because it says in verse verse 1 of chapter 3 that Eliab the priest and his fellow priests went to work. He says in verse 20 these words, he says that Barak, the son of Zabbii, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Ejazabid, the high priest. They went to work. Christian pointed out in another context recently, there was only one dissenting group that I can find in the whole of the chapter. In verse 5 it says, That the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But the nobles would not put their shoulder to work under their supervision. Just one dissenting group out of all of that picture said, Oh no, I don't want to get involved in that. Exertion. Exertion. In other words, friends, as the Bible talks about in Thessalonians, there is a labour of love. And we need to get the balance of this, because I'm not talking about labouring our own efforts. I'm not talking about carrying burdens that God has not called us to carry. I'm not just talking about working for it. I'm not just trying to talk this tonight about earning brownie points to get us to heaven. But the reality is that when we see the vision, when we're captured by the vision, when we're impassioned by a response to brokenness, when we desire with all our hearts that God, by his spirit, through his church, this local church in this town at this time for this day, will bring on the wall, it's going to take some labor. Yeah. It's going to take some work commitment. It's going to take people that put their hand to the plough. It's going to take sometimes the fact that we just give ourselves to what God has called us to do. You know, it's very interesting that Jesus prays a prayer in uh, Mark's gospel towards the end of of, uh, (coughs) that gospel. And uh, (coughs) let me just find it because I'd like to read it. And it says these words. Time might, But it's the prayer of Jesus where he's praying for laborers for the harvest. Praying for laborers for the harvest. And I want to encourage us tonight, friends, to be people that will give ourselves to the work of God. I was in Leicester on Friday on Thursday evening meeting with a group of our leaders from the south part of our area. We had a great night. There was this throwaway comment from the lead pastor of the church. His name's David Hine. He says, oh, we can't meet in this building anymore because we, we're too big for it. That's great, isn't it? The background of the building. And they, they, meet, they meet in inner city Leicester. There's the mosque on the corner. There's the Hindu temple just down the road. There's ladies walking around with the burqa on and you just see their eyes. It's an interesting place. But they meet now in the school about half a mile away. And uh, it's in the gymnasium, so they have to pull up some special curtain to uh, sound again, guys, to soften the sound. And here's the throwaway line. He says, church starts at at half past ten on a Sunday. He says, but we leave here at quarter to seven in the morning to get ready for church Mm -hmm. at half past ten. You see, that's exertion. That's people putting themselves out so that they can create an environment for more people to come to worship God and give him praise and they get the sound ready, and they get the lighting ready, and they get the words ready, and they get the ambience ready, and they get the echo sort of dealt with. And, you know, if you've ever been in a gym, they talk starts and bounces around, And they do all of that. And we started quarter to seven. Two years ago, I was uh, this coming Christmas, I had the joy of being uh, across in the other side of the world to visit our daughter, Miriam, who lives certainly for the moment in Melbourne, Australia. And uh, I, I went to... Uh, Talked to one of the leaders. He said, oh, "Let me take you down to the cage," and he not that thing on the telly, you know, where they fight it. But he says, "Let me take you down to the cage," and uh, he says, "He says here's how it all stacks up," and he said, "Of course, we we've not got our own building. This is one of the fastest growing churches in the southern hemisphere. Seven thousand people that are in the church, seventy percent of them under thirty five years of age. They don't meet. They haven't got their own building. They're trying to find a building. They're looking for a building, but they meet in a rented." accommodation on a Sunday. It's a three-story thing, and uh, they do about four services, and about 1,700 people a time come into that meeting. He says, but he says, it takes us a long time to get up and get ready. He says, says, everything comes into the cage this way, so that everything comes out of the cage that way. He says, it's very scientific how it all goes in. He says, oh, by the way, the guys pitch up here at six o'clock on a Sunday morning. Oh, that's exertion. Yeah. In other words, you wander into church at half past five for their final meeting of the night. You've had your lion, you've had your your latte, you've watched telly, and then you've come to the house of God. But at six o'clock that morning, somebody was getting it ready so that we could come to church. And then, of course, they've got to pack it all down at night and put it all away again, push it back into the cage so that it goes in that way and it comes out this way. Well, fascinating. (laughs) Exertion. And I never cease to be awed by arena church of people putting themselves out. People that sometimes get there early and go home late. People that are inconvenienced. The law of inconvenience is part of the culture of the church. If you don't understand the, the law of inconvenience, you do not understand discipleship. It's inconvenient to be a follower of Jesus at times. It's inconvenient to build church. It's inconvenient to bring on the wall. It's inconvenient to touch brokenness. Inconvenient. It doesn't, it's not always easy. But you know, when we respond to that, God does an amazing thing. And let me just give you one verse at the end of Corinthians 15, because God's talking about the resurrection of Jesus, and then He gives a therefore. And the great theology of the therefore is if there's a therefore, you look what it's therefore. And in the light of Jesus being raised from the dead, and He's here tonight, He says, "Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, or never lose heart, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain." Or as one translation says. Your labour in the Lord is never thrown away. And I want to encourage us tonight, friends, to be people at times that will allow God to stretch us. Not because we're trying to earn something towards him, but because he has so impacted our hearts. that we see God, we'll go the extra mile. We'll be extended for you. We'll be inconvenienced. We'll put ourselves out. we put our hand to the plough and there's no going back. Because we love you. And because we've seen the power of bringing on the war. Now, me doing that on my own, or Christian trying to do it on his own, is just, frankly, friends, overwhelming. We'll never achieve it. But together, inspired by Nehemiah chapter 3, where we see direction, where we note participation, where we respond to organisation, where we commit to continuation, and yes, Where we're prepared to undertake exertion means that it can be all for one and one for all. And together, we can do it. Let's pray.